I was 18 years old. I was young and overconfident, and I didn't want to be left out. I was with a couple of friends. We'd gone to Cornwall camping, and they wanted to go surfing. Well, there were two problems with this from my point of view. Uh, Firstly, that I had never been surfing before, and I didn't know how. And secondly, that I could not and I cannot swim. I mean, I can bob around in the water, just about stay afloat, but I can't get from one end of a swimming pool to the other. Being in the sea is a different matter altogether. In this case, though, I felt it would be a shame to let common sense get in the way of a good afternoon. So I donned a wetsuit and grabbed a surfboard and out I went. The water was good, but probably not quite beginner level. And as time went on, the waves began to pick up. I like to think I was just about getting the hang of things when a particularly powerful wave crashed into me, knocked me into the water, sent me plunging downwards. If you've ever been in that situation, you won't have forgotten what it's like. It is absolute chaos down there. You're you're spinning around, you're trying to make your way back up, but you don't know which direction to go in. People say it's like being in a washing machine, churning around, bewildered. And then in a sudden moment of clarity, you remember that you're attached by a tether from your ankle to your surfboard, which is buoyant and probably the first thing your head will hit when you finally come up to the surface. It is among only a handful of truly terrifying experiences I have had in life. Feeling shocked, confused, surrounded, feeling this is urgent. Every second matters. Is this how it's going to be at the end? Is this how I will die? It all races through your mind in a matter of moments. And I want to keep us there, in the sea, in the depths, for just a minute or two this lunchtime. Because that's where we find the prophet Jonah, just at the end of chapter one. If you've read the story or if you were here last week, you'll know what's happened so far. We've met the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The book of Jonah really is about him. He is the one true God, the living God, who made the world and works in the world to bring people to know him. The story of Jonah is about how he does that, as well as some other things besides. But we've also met Jonah himself, called to be a prophet of God, sent to the people of Nineveh in the Assyrian Empire to preach there. And if we're thinking pantomime characters... Prophet of God equals good. Hooray, cheer. People of Nineveh equals bad. Boo, hiss. Then the story swerves with a twist. Jonah ran away from the Lord. He disobeys. He does the very opposite of what a prophet ought to do. We saw last week how Jonah set sail in the opposite direction and the storm of God's judgment came on him and even then he doubled down on his commitment not to go God's way. Instead of saying sorry and turning back and committing himself to faithful service, he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. In other words, I'd rather take the consequences than answer God's call. 
So we find Jonah in the sea, drowning. And I wonder what's going through his mind at that moment. I wonder if there he feels defiant, as if he's taken a stand and has proved his mettle. Or I wonder if he's got a sense of regret. When he is physically, he's tangibly at death's door, I wonder if he has any regrets then about the choices that have led him there. And I wonder about you. What do you feel about this runaway prophet? Because say what you will about Jonah this far, he's not exactly a likeable character, is he? I mean, maybe you like stubborn and headstrong people, but he hasn't used his determination for good. He's selfish in his choices. He's self-obsessed in his thinking. And maybe, just maybe, you feel this guy is getting what he deserves. Maybe you feel the story ought to end at chapter 1, verse 16. He's heard God's word and has disobeyed it. He's had an opportunity to change course and has ignored it. And now he faces judgment and certain death on account of his disobedience. You can't say it's not fair or right or just. God's perfect judgment always is. But the story doesn't end there. Because as well as being fair and right and just, the Lord is gracious and compassionate and patient. He is the Lord who rescues. That's our theme today. And I've got three headings for us as we pick up the story and plunge into chapter two. Here's the first of them. The Lord provides a rescue. The Lord provides a rescue. And provides is the right word. Jonah 1 verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Jonah, remember, is in the sea and is sinking down. He describes his experience in verses 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. What Jonah is describing here is nothing less than being buried at sea. The children's picture books normally show Jonah at this point a bit like Kate Winslet in Titanic. There's that scene when the ship's gone down and she's safe on that doorframe waiting for the lifeboat to come and pick her up. Jonah's situation is much more like Leonardo DiCaprio's. He's in the water and he's going down. It was engulfing. It was surrounding. It was barring him in. It is death and burial language Jonah uses to describe what has happened to him. Things really are that serious. It's into that situation, out of death, that the Lord acts in rescue. It is beyond our power and ability to contribute to God's saving work. It is where we have the greatest need of rescue and the least capacity to contribute to it 
that we see God's salvation unfolding. In this situation, salvation comes in the form of a giant fish. God is a creative God after all. And here in the book of Jonah, I suspect we're meant to recognize that God has a sense of humor. The book of Jonah is funny. It's a satire. As somebody has described it, satire is comedy with a purpose. I think that's a good description of Jonah. It is funny that God should save a sinner from death by sending a big sea creature to swallow him. But then it's funny that a prophet should have run away to begin with. And as I call it comedy, please don't mishear me. I don't believe that means it isn't true. The God who made the sea and the dry land can work wonders with big fish. You sometimes hear these fishermen's tales of people being swallowed by big creatures and living to tell the story. That seems to me rather to miss the point. We're not meant to read of a giant fish and think, well, that's an everyday explanation. As the sailors threw Jonah overboard into the sea, they weren't thinking, never mind, lads, he'll be fine. The big fish taxi service will take him back to Joppa. This shows the creative the unusual, the unlikely, the downright weird way God goes about rescuing his people. Powerless to help himself, Jonah is saved as the Lord carries him from the depths of death up to new life and a fresh start. But click pause on that thought for just a moment while we take in our second point. We've seen the Lord provides a rescue Secondly, the Lord provides a wake-up call. The Lord provides a wake-up call. The story isn't really about the big fish. It's about the Lord who provided it and what he's doing in the heart of this prophet that he's pursuing. You'll have heard, I am sure, the classic joke here. We can't allow the big fish to become a red herring. Well, the story is told of the young girl and her teacher who are arguing about whether humans can be swallowed by whales. The teacher says that it's impossible. The girl says Jonah was swallowed by a whale. The teacher says that's not a true story. The girl says, when I go to heaven, I'll ask him. The teacher asks, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? And the girl replies, well, then you can ask him. Now, forgive me, forgive me, that joke is a crass and a cheap way of making a serious point. And it is serious. It is life and death serious. It is heaven and hell serious. This prayer of Jonah's here in chapter 2 takes us to dark places. It shows us a man with a deep spiritual problem who has found himself far away from God. And it teaches us that the Lord used the circumstances in which Jonah found himself as a means to give him a wake-up call. It was only in the depths, facing death, contemplating the end and what that would mean for him, that Jonah began to face up to God. It is striking that for all of the fast-paced narrative of chapter 1 and the extraordinary events that happen there, here is the first time Jonah speaks to God in prayer. In my distress, he says in verse 2, 
In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. I've called this series of talks here in the book of Jonah, The Prodigal Prophet. That's the title of a book from the American pastor, Tim Keller, about this story. He, like others before him, have found similarities between these events and that famous story that Jesus told, the parable of the prodigal son. Imagine a father who has two sons. The younger of them wants to take the inheritance and the family name and run away to a distant country in order to make his own life there beyond scrutiny and the public gaze. Meanwhile, the older brother remains at home dutifully fulfilling his responsibilities. And no, I'm not talking about Prince Harry and William, though come to think of it, there's a decent sermon in there somewhere. Uh, This son in Jesus' story, uh, this son, remember, he ends up on a pig farm and penniless. There's a perfect storm of circumstances. Part of the mess he's in is his own fault as he squandered his inheritance in wild living. But part of the mess is outside his control. There's a famine in the land and no food to go around. Both in his sin and in his suffering, he hits rock bottom. And he recognizes in that moment that his only hope is back at home with his father. Jesus shows that is what the gospel of grace looks like. Wherever we have found ourselves, even if it's in a bed of our own making, like Jonah is, we have a heavenly father who we can turn to, who will welcome us. One of those threads was doing the rounds on Twitter a couple of days ago, challenging people to say, I love you, without using those three words. The Christian thinker and writer James K.A. Smith replied, you can always come home. I think that's a good gospel answer, isn't it? The hard teaching of Jonah too, though, is that often we will need, as Jonah did, a wake-up call. Listen to him. In my distress, verse 2, I called to the Lord. When my life was ebbing away, verse 7, I remembered you, Lord. It is from the depths when all he had left was hope that Jonah cried out to God. And isn't that so often true of us? When we are comfortable and complacent, we're not necessarily conscious of how we are spiritually needy before God. We get used to our sin. We're acclimatized to it. But once in a while, that's that big blow up that makes us wake up and take notice. It's when we see the hurt we've caused others by our actions and the pain they carry that we realize our guilt. It's when people confront us with the wrong things that we've said and done that we're forced to examine ourselves and face facts that we're not as perfect as we pretend to be. The warning of the book of Jonah here is that sin has consequences. It leads to judgment and death. It's a sobering truth that we can't miss in this chapter. But the promise of the book of Jonah is that the Lord holds out salvation to those who don't deserve it and cannot earn it, but who, when they hit rock bottom and come to their senses, come home. 
It takes humility to recognize our need for God and to call out to him. When pondering deep spiritual things like this, I like to turn to the comedian Milton Jones. He says on this, salvation is like being returned to factory settings, but you have to admit there is a factory and that there could be some settings. The wake-up call is recognizing ourselves for who we are and God for who God is and going his way rather than our own. The great Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson says of Jonah, sin cast him down, God called him up. Sin cast him out, God called him in. Well, there's the prodigal hitting rock bottom and returning home is what Jesus taught as the gospel of grace. I ask you to press pause on a thought though. And as I finish, let's unpause that. It's our third and our concluding point. The Lord provides a sign. The Lord provides a sign. We saw last week that Jesus compared himself to Jonah. He said that he was one greater than Jonah. He was able to affect the rescue of God, not just point to it. But there's another dimension to his comparison with Jonah, and it relates to the big fish. The religious leaders around Jesus were asking for a sign from him to prove he had the authority to make the promises he was making. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 40, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Where the big fish took Jonah from the depths and death's door up to life and a fresh start, so Jesus does for us in an eternally significant way. He meets us in the darkness of death, goes to the grave for us. But as he is raised to new life on the third day, confirmation is made and our assurance is secure that he can and will carry us through from death to life, making things right with God our Father on our behalf as he does so. And in place of a word of challenge as I end here, let me instead offer a word of testimony and of nostalgia. It was 20 years ago today that I was baptised here just a few feet across from where I'm standing now, 16th of January 2000. I made some commitments that day to repent of sin and to pursue life in Christ. But the great truth of the gospel and the joy of life in Christ as I know it is that he has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. When those storms come and when that sinking feeling of the reality of sin closes in around me, I have a certain hope in Christ that, as Jonah says in verse 6, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Or or verse 9, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. It might not look pretty 
It might sometimes feel like being vomited up by a fish. But I know the Lord's rescue, not just once for all, but day by day as the currents swirl about me. And I know that you know the depths of the sea because we all do in one way or another at some point in life. And if you feel it today, if you receive that wake-up call, can I urge you to look to the sign, to trust in the one who will always carry you out of the depths and onto the dry land of a fresh start. It's the Lord who did it for the prophet Jonah. But Jonah is only a sign of the Lord Jesus himself who promises to do it for all those who will call on his name and trust in him.